think Tevez going to Juventus, what, what a coup that was for me. I mean, On a head-to-head -head battle, Atletico Madrid can do uh, more damage to Barcelona than the other way around. Either he's really blind or he's fixing the match. I, I can't see it any other way. I'm, I'm trying to get Sir Bob on my side here by saying City will win the Premier League. It, it is an upset. You would expect Man United to go and win there. Over a billion dollars was paid in transfer fees uh, between the clubs in, in Europe. It's football. It's damn football. Like Ferguson said, football. Bloody marvelous. Yeah, well, the celebration was, I can't believe I just scored against Mexico. Uh, at one point, Parma, I think it's only like 224 players under contract. Hey, they're going to throw me out of here, fellas. You're going to get me arrested on your show. If you're a serious talent, you're going back and you're playing for Santos. You, you know, you're going back to, to play for, like in Argentina, for River Plate or Boca Juniors. Or you're going to Europe. He looked like the Ryan Giggs of old. He was more creative than any player on the pitch. Um, he made Matt look stupid. He made Rooney look silly. Now, the Premier League is what the most exciting league out there. I think it's probably the best marketed league without a question. When you look at the draw for the, the Champions League, you kind of say, well, all the pieces kind of fell into place for everybody except City. I am your host, Joe Ucello. Sir Bob, Mike Orr. My co-host, Rob Rojas. My trusted co-host, Ben the Machine. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 351 of Low Limit Football on this 13th of March, 2022. I'm your host, Joe Ucello, and tonight, Cristiano Ronaldo scores a hat-trick in Man United's 3-2 win over Spurs, his first goal in almost a month, and his first hat-trick since returning back to Manchester United. Paulo Dybala's contracts are stalled again, possibly allowing his move away from Juventus this summer. Bayern Munich dropped points for the second straight week. They now sit 10 points ahead of Dortmund, but Dortmund have two matches in hand, Ender Klassiker coming up on April 23rd. And massive developments, both at Chelsea and PSG this week. We're going to discuss those and much, much more with our very special guest, Mr. Santi Bauza from Copa 90, CNN World Sport, and the Hand of Pod podcast, who will be joining us in just a little bit. But first, let me get my co-host in here, Mr. Roberto Rojas. How are you, my man? I'm good, man. I'm really good. But I have a question to, for that Ronaldo um, Clay, not claim, but you know him scoring the hat trick. Mm. Who was the real goat that showed up at Old Trafford yesterday? Oof. you know what? I didn't get a chance to see the match. I just saw some quick highlights of it. So you're but you gonna... know who was there, right? Oh, oh, the other goat. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Goats, who goats was the goats. real goat yeah. that that showed up at Old Trafford? You know, yesterday. I, I don't want to get too deep in the woods on this, but but you know, is Tom Brady? bigger than Cristiano Ronaldo? No, I mean, no, 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 you know, no, I mean, not even close. It's, you know, it's one of those things. I mean, we could talk about Instagram followers, but Brady's, you know, Brady's won quite a bit, but has he won more than Cristiano Ronaldo? I mean, there's... There, but, but, but let's compare it, the two sports. What's it's, bigger? It's apples and oranges, right, sure. And, and, and of course, when you're, when you're comparing soccer to American football, it's, it's a very different world, of, of course. Um, you know, you could even talk about Champions League stuff where, you know, if you want to talk about... Ronaldo being the champion of Europe, he's done it how many times? Five, six? Yep, something. five. Yeah, five. So, I mean, you know, you, you look at Brady's record in the Super Bowl, but against, you know, the Super Bowl only challenges people in the United States. It's a mess. I mean, they're both they're both massive athletes in their respect, in their sport, in, in, in their in their professions. And yeah, but, you know, the whole world has made a big deal of of, of him being there with with uh, with Cristiano just 
you know, for me, it's like it's fanboy stuff. You know what I mean? It's like, do we really need it? <laughs> do we really do we really need to talk about Brady and Ronaldo? And why aren't we talking about Messi? So, uh, but we'll talk about Messi in a little bit. That's for sure. So, let's. Uh, you know what? Let Let's go right into the trivia question, my friend, because my trivia question is Cristiano Ronaldo based for you. So, are you ready for this? Yep. Okay. So, Cristiano Ronaldo scored a hat trick against Spurs uh, on the weekend. My question to you is, when was the last time he scored a hat-trick for club? And when was the last time he scored a hat-trick for country? Ooh. Okay. Um, You want to give me dates? I will accept dates. You want to give me um, teams that he scored it against? I will accept that Um, as an answer as well because it's such a hard... Yeah, I mean, I know the club. I'm just trying to figure out the last time he did it for his country. Let me give you a quick hint. Yeah. you know, and, and, and so I'll, I'll give you half the answer here at this point. But as far as club goes, obviously he did it with Juventus. Almost to the date, it's a year ago. Almost, okay. Almost to the date. So if you want to give me a date, almost to the date. Today is the 13th, right? We said that in the opening monologue. Almost to the date. So you can give me a date on that one. You're only going to get one crack at that one, my friend. Um, but almost to the date, it's a year ago. All right. So. Let's get an opening thoughts. And I, I think opening thoughts, we were going to originally focus on PSG, but we, we discussed quite a bit of PSG with Santi Bauza, uh, where that interview is coming up in just a minute. So let's get into the world of football, right? Because we're going to talk about PSG, but we're also going to talk about Chelsea Football Club. And obviously with the effects of the war going on in Ukraine at the moment, the, the British government or the English government has sanctioned Roman Abramovich. They're, they're forcing the sale of this uh, of, of Chelsea Football Club. They have basically taken away Chelsea's credit cards. Um, you know, I, I read this story the other day where it, it almost felt like a scene to me out of. Have you ever seen Trading Places um, with Dan Aykroyd and um, and Eddie Murphy? Have you seen the movie? Yes. Okay. Do you remember when when Dan Aykroyd goes into the bank to get like a thousand dollars cash because he needs some money, and the yep. bank basically just comes back and they grab his wallet and just take all his credit cards. Like that <laughs> yeah. was the image I had of Roma Abramovich going to the FA going, yeah, we're going to, we're going to need a, you know, 50 grand to get these guys to Lille for the match. Um, okay. Roman, give me your credit cards. And they just take them all and just repossess them. And it's like, that, that was the image in my head. Um, they've taken away their credit cards. They've taken away their, their money. They've taken away Roman's ability to, to basically do anything. Uh, the government's going to handle the sale of Chelsea football club, which apparently we have multiple suitors at this point from, from Woody Johnson, the owner of the New York Jets, and my friend Jerome Cordero is probably um, throwing up repeatedly with the thought of his favorite Chelsea football club being owned by his favorite Jets football club owners because he hates those owners. Um, so he's probably vomiting right now as we speak. Uh, you know, there's a Saudi offer that I just heard came over the wire. There's an English um, offer as well that just came over recently. There are a lot of people that are willing and wanting to buy Chelsea football club Um but this is a huge distraction. I know we're going to mention this quickly with Santi in, in our meet, in our um, our interview. But this is a, a massive distraction for the club, uh, for the players, for Thomas Tuchel to be asked about these things over and over again. I mean, how does Chelsea? I I, we're, I, I think we all agree that they're out of the race for the the Premier League title, but they're certainly still well within it to to win the Champions League. How does Tuchel keep them focused at this point? Well, I think that's his big test. I think that's his big test. I think, you know, certainly for him, I'm sure, and for a lot of these players, a lot of things are really up in the air. I mean, you know, especially given the fact that, you know, 
the expectation is already big anyway for Chelsea, you know, being defending Champions League winners and, you know, world champions as well. So, you know, I I think they understand that, you know, in something like this, it's out of their control. There's nothing that Thomas Tuchel could do, nor the 25-odd-ish players on Chelsea Football Club. Mm -hmm. So, you know, nothing really you can really do. But... um, it's funny because the the I was listening to an interview yesterday from the women's coach, the Chelsea women's coach Emma Hayes, and she was saying something that I thought was really interesting. It's just like you know we're we're here to focus on just pre, pre, um, just football, you know, predominantly just focus on what we're, what's happening on the pitch, mm-hmm. and that they have the utmost conviction that whatever is happening behind closed doors, it will be done for the best that the club can can go for. So sure. I think it's. It shows that you know, for this Chelsea side, they they, in this case for Thomas Tuchel, he has to really focus on getting these players really focused into finishing up the season, making the Champions League period because you know mm-hmm. there's still a big race for that top four, and so it's not ultimately very much security yet. And also, you do well in the Champions League, you know, you still have to play well, you know, obviously a big matchup nevertheless, and then obviously whatever happens in the quarterfinals and and so on and so forth. Um, so yeah, Joe, I, I think that's really the case for Chelsea. It's like yeah. for everything that's going on behind the scenes, I think just predominantly on the pitch, it's they have to just focus on what's going on and and just you know continue to be the good team that they are. And you know, I think they got like two wins. They beat Newcastle today. I think they won also midweek. So ever since the, these news started to come about, so. It seems that they haven't lost their focus yet, but I think now the big one is, you know, heading into the Champions League. They also have the FA Cup. You know, they could still win some sort of silverware this season as well. So, yeah, it's, uh, I think, just for this Chelsea side, I think Tuchel just really needs to get his boys really focused uh, finishing the season, and they could be picking up any sort of silverware that they can get. Now, one of the things I want to ask you real quick, because part of this agreement with the, with the English government or, you know, the government of Great Britain is the fact, and also going into UEFA's rules and contract rules and that sort of thing with with uh, with soccer, is if Chelsea doesn't make their payments to their players, if they don't pay the paychecks, those pay, those contracts are actually in fact broken, and those those players are all uh, free agents and can go anywhere at any time. It's almost like a chan- almost like a transfer window opens immediately for them that they don't they're not bound by they're all free agents they're they're not tied to a team. So with with Chelsea's credit being frozen like this, where everything has been locked down and their credit cards are taken away and they have they have no access to their money and no ability to 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 really do much. Could you see a situation where these players all of a sudden like Romelu Lukaku who's not having the best of seasons at Chelsea with his return? Christian Pulisic, you know, of course, uh, you know, although he's been succeeding at Chelsea, but not quite as much or Kai Havertz, who who has really upped his stock since since going to Chelsea. Could you see them also all of them not getting that paycheck and then saying, you know what? Hey, let me go find some place else to play now while I can do it right now. Yeah, I mean, those are one of the few things that I think is on everyone's mind. It's like, you know, what is my future, you know, from. Mm -hmm. Edouard Mendy, Lukaku, Pulisic, to even you know some of the young players. Um, yeah, it's it really is difficult. I mean, you know, I think obviously we don't know how the financial situation is at Chelsea. You know how these players are getting paid so often, and you know how it all works there. So mm-hmm. I'm curious to see how that comes about. But I think you know certainly 
they, they need to find some sort of solution. You know, I think for a club as big as Chelsea and as a business as well, they, they need to find some sort of solution that would allow these players who are on legally buying contracts as well mm-hmm. to get paid and to continue to, you know, imp- continue to work because that's what they are. They're employers. They're, they, they are employers playing you know, soccer in this case. So, yeah, it's it's weird. I mean, I'm, I, I mean, you know, obviously these guys are millionaires anyway, so it's not the end of the world if they don't get paid for a couple weeks or months or anything like that. But you know, they still need to get paid regardless. But um, yeah, it's it's difficult to really see what can come about from all this because everything's up in the air. Yeah, and, and you know, if 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 a special permission is given for the whoever could be the new owner to go and get the club, then everything would be much more secured now in this case. But for the time being, I think it will be better. Like, everything will be fine. But, yeah, there is that possibility. It makes the sale imperative um, completely and and, and immediate. Uh, It's got to be first and foremost on Chelsea Football Club's uh, docket is to, to get this team sold sold that value and 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 continue things moving the way they are so um you know i i want to talk about psg real quick and, I, and i'm gonna you know just make it real quick real simple because we're gonna get into it with santi quite a bit um so your your opinion you know something that i had mentioned on and i i mentioned in our interview that we had been on martino pucho's um uh spaces on twitter uh that right after the match in my opinion psg need to uh, you know, given the way that this project has gone, it's a failure. It is an absolute failure. I don't think we can call it any other way because when the goal is the Champions League and you don't even get there, it is a failure. So for me, if I am PSG, I'm selling Neymar. Uh, I, I'm going to put all my eggs in the Kylian Mbappe basket because the Kylian Mbappe basket is a very long basket. It's a very young basket and it is a very attractive basket. And I don't think the Neymar basket is quite as attractive. I think Messi is out of this picture. I don't think this is Messi's the consideration here. I think it is really the Neymar versus Messi, uh, Neymar versus Mbappe um, picture. And I think if you are PSG, you do everything in your human possibility to keep Kylian Mbappe in Paris and get rid of Neymar as soon as possible. If that is what Kylian Mbappe wants. Um, that's my, my personal opinion of moving the project forward. The project is not going forward right now. So I'd like your opinion, my friend, do they build around, do they continue to try to build around Neymar or do they cut their losses with Neymar, build around Mbappe and then move forward from there? Yeah. I mean, I I think Real Madrid will do everything that they can to try to, you know, get Neymar, uh, Neymar, sorry, uh, Mbappe to come here. So Mm. I think it's, um. I think it's the case of just Neymar and potentially even Messi, you know, being yeah. able to build around a, a new team. But, um, yeah, it's, I mean, <laughs> that's only one of the few departures that could indeed happen. I mean, there's, this is going to be a complete reset of PSG whatsoever because yeah. after 10 years of this ownership from Nasia Kalaipi, it just it hasn't worked and billions of dollars being spent without being able to get the single goal, which is the Champions League, I mean, we don't know what's next. It's gotta we be really done. don't know. Yeah, it's got to be done. But but obviously, the project as it's going is a failure, and they've, and they've got to move it forward. So we'll have to see 
what uh, PSG moves from here. I, I think, you know, as I mentioned in the interview, that I think PSG, in terms of their season for 2021, 2022, I think it's done. Um, and I think they really need to start making those decisions now. Um, I think Pochettino's out. I think uh, they need to make the decision on the players and the staff and then move forward from it because this is definitely not working. So let's table our discussion of PSG and Chelsea and everything that's going on at the moment uh, in the world. And let's get Santi Bauza in here. Santi Bauza from Hand of Pod podcast, CNN World Sport and Copa 90 uh, was joined, uh, joined us earlier to discuss Chelsea, discuss PSG, discuss Champions League uh, and, and many other things. So without further ado, the Santi Bauza interview. And joining us now on Low Limit Football from Copa 90, CNN World Sport, and Hand of Pod podcast, Santi Bauza. Santi, welcome back to the show. It's great to have you back on. I want to jump into everything that's happened this week with PSG because it's been quite the dumpster fire. Uh, the, the 3-1 loss to Real Madrid at the Santiago Bernabeu, the, the reaction from... Uh, um, from uh, the owner and as well as uh, Leonardo, the sporting director, there's talks of Leonardo being out at this point. You wonder about Lionel Messi. There is so much of a mess going on at PSG, given that they were up two nil in this tie at one point. What are your thoughts on what's happening at PSG and what kind of things can we expect moving forward? Because this project doesn't seem to be going in the direction that they originally anticipated. Well, hi Joe. Uh, first off, uh, thank you for having me. Uh, it's a it's a pleasure as always. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's been quite a storm, I would say, in the last uh, few few days for for PSG following that uh, that Champions League disappointment, another one. Um, and yeah, I think it's uh, there comes a time when you start to raise uh, some questions. I think about what what's going to be the, the direction of this project because, well, uh, I think it's kind of their own uh, making the fact that um, they have put all their eggs in, in the Champions League basket for the last decade, basically, which means uh, that every other achievement that, uh, that PSG have, uh, have, um, yeah, have acquired in the, in the last decade, you know, utter and complete dominance of the league, Establishing themselves as a global brand, and uh, well, joining joining up with a, uh, you know, Michael Jordan, and um, making all these headlines with some of the biggest transfers in world football. It all it it's all rendered, you know, completely meaningless if it didn't uh, yield a Champions League win, and it hasn't. Uh, but I think that's kind of a a mistaken. In perspective from their own from their own board, I would say the, the fact that it's it's all been so heavily focused on that, and uh, maybe other areas where some of the clubs would have uh, highlighted that success that's uh, basically meaningless because of this uh, self uh, well this you know, of well this whole campaign being also centered in the Champions League, and the mm. fact is that from a sporting perspective. Uh, they just haven't really had a lot of direction, I think, in the project. Maybe from a marketing and uh, from an from a kind of image standpoint, it's been a, an unprecedented success for them. But uh, I mean, when you think about it, even if uh, they can, you know, hoard all this kind of talent and uh, 
on big names. Uh, but after all, it's uh, the project relies on the fact that it's uh, they've always tried to, you know, put all put all this uh, all this effort in signing these huge, huge, huge players, but never actually stopping them to think about how could they work together, which is. Startling, considering that um, they have a well, there, there's the the Galactico project as a as a big big uh, you know precedent for this kind of uh, failure, I would say. And while clubs like uh, Manchester City and Chelsea and even Real Madrid in uh, Florentino Perez's second stint as president have learned from that experience, PSG haven't really thought through about how to make. Um, a squad that's uh, not only consistent and uh, well-balanced, but also a group of players who will uh, die for that shirt and for mm. that badge. I think you, you really don't see that. And uh, the logical reaction from fans, uh, what we've seen in, in the in the, in the the league-on game, the first league-on game they played after that exit, has been of, uh, well, total and complete anger at uh, these expectations not being met. The fact that the winning the league title every single year is rendered meaningless. Well, even teams who win it every single season, like Bayern, actually, you know, cherish that kind of uh, success. It's it's startling because they, they've set all their expectations on that. And, uh, of course, fans will be really, really angry. The thing is, probably they've, uh, I think... Uh, Maybe Nasser Al-Khalifi and Leonardo maybe deserve a little bit more scrutiny that they've actually had, especially considering the fact that the squad is of their own making, I would say. Mm -hmm. This is kind of their own failing at the project, that, uh, trying to uh, build something with not a lot of um, fundament and accurate scouting and thinking what's the the style of the manager they have at their disposal and how could it work better. But yeah, I think it's uh, it's starting to raise real concerns about what's the next step and how much more can Leonardo and Al-Khalifi really, really do because it's money isn't enough, you know, to to reach this kind of heights. You know, you I, I want to dive into the player aspect of this, of this a little bit deeper because I think it's a it's an interesting problem that I think... PSG face moving forward and, and Roberto and I were on a spaces with Martino Puccio earlier in the week right after the match actually and and I think PSG right now I, I mean for all intents and purposes their season is over right I mean they're probably going to run out and win the league one title you know the, the, the other ancillary titles I, I don't think really hold a, a, a you know a spark in their in their soul to to pick that up because I think the big prize was the Champions League so we can we can start to look at PSG in the summer window here at this point, even though this is only March, we can start to look at what's going to happen. And I think, like you said, Leonardo is probably going to be out. I mean, we're actually hearing rumblings about that as early as this morning. Um, but now we, we've got a we've got a superstar problem, right? Because we have we have Neymar, who's thirty, uh, who has not delivered what, we, what you thought he would deliver at PSG when he came on from Barcelona. We have Lionel Messi, uh, who has not looked like the Lionel Messi of old. Although, given he's he's thirty four years old, he's he's um, you know he's getting up there in age. I wouldn't expect that. And then we've got a gem in Kylian Mbappe, twenty two years old. Uh, you know, superstar, megastar, looking to possibly make that move to Real Madrid at the next Galactico. Uh, much was made about that prior to this this tie in this match, and 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 I think 
PSG have a big problem. Do they stick with the path of Neymar and Leo Messi? Although I don't think the Leo Messi part of that is going to be very, very long. But the Neymar part of that is, do they stick with that? Or do they try to do everything they can to keep Kylian Mbappe, including possibly selling Neymar and Leo Messi to make Mbappe happy and start to rebuild this project? Mm, it's a good question because, I mean, you have to think of uh, the possibility that Mbappe pretty much has settled his own future. I think uh, not just from from you know rumors and reports, but also from his uh, stance at the beginning of the of the season when he decided that he wouldn't renew and uh, he almost uh, he was almost transparent in his desire to to play for Real Madrid and to to mark that next step of his career. So uh, there is a big danger that if uh, Leonardo or whoever uh, is uh, the next director of football by the next transfer window uh, tries to gamble on trying to keep Mbappe by selling Neymar on, or showing Messi the exit door. I think uh, they could end up empty-handed, actually. So the thing is, uh, even if we, if we focus on those individual names, uh, there's the whole big picture missing, which is the fact that when you want to base your whole uh, transfer strategy in trying to appease a few big names, at the end of the day, you're going to end up with a squad that's really disjointed and not really thought through. The, the fact is that PSG's problems do not really lie in the attack. Um, well, I mean, they kind of do, because I think it's been clear that Messi, Neymar and Mbappé are... Uh, uh, front three that can give you a lot when they have the ball, but once they lose it, you've got uh, three players who just won't commit defensively because of their qualities and their um, the characteristics at their respective ages. That's a fact. And, uh, well, they look really disjointed together. But even so, the main issues, of course, I think rely on defense and the fact that Marquinhos and Kimpembe have huge lapses in concentration all the time, and uh, in well, in key moments at least. And uh, Akraf Hakimi and Nuno Mendes are not fullbacks, so they're more like wingbacks. So maybe they they would need to shore up that that defense or try to um, serve their their fullback strengths and try to you know keep that center of defense uh, a little bit more in order. I would say. But even so, uh, I think if they try to focus their, their transfer strategy and try to keep Mbappe or, and do not think through of what kind of uh, project they want, to, they want to carry out, how do you want to play, who will lead them, and what kind of players would that manager favor, I think they will keep uh, knocking their heads um, to, in front of the same wall, I would say. Because, I mean... The, the the success the their outgoing managers have had since leaving PSG, and the fact that uh, you know even Carlo Ancelotti is now thriving at Real Madrid again, uh, Unai Emery has won a Europa League with uh, Villarreal. Thomas Tuchel immediately won the Champions League after leaving PSG. I think it's the fact that uh, they've. Uh, it seems like that both the players and the director of football and the board are working constantly. Uh, ahead of their manager and the manager is just someone who just uh, has the job of 
choosing the starting lineup, but that's it. And it's not been given a lot of, you know, um, agency over how the team should play and how they 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 are going to carry out that project. I would think that uh, if they don't realize that all these kind of uh, all these kind of I would say legs of the project, the players, the board, and the manager, they should all work together and not as separate islands. They will keep failing at the same at the same hurdle. They'll keep falling on the same hurdle, and they will, you know, keep uh, being sent home in the Champions League, and this kind of humiliations will keep happening, and uh, Nasr Al-Khelaifi will grow angrier and angrier and angrier. So, unless that changes, we will see. We'll keep seeing the same old PSG, I think. And obviously, a team that is obviously very much different, but always has their own level of chaos, is Real Madrid. We always know that the expectations at Real Madrid are always the case of winning domestically, not just La Liga, Copa del Rey, but obviously the Champions League. I mean, it's it's incredible to think that a team like Real Madrid has never won the trouble before. But having said that, looking at this Real Madrid side, I mean, getting that that great win over there at the Bernabeu, you know, returning, coming back from a 1-0 deficit, in, in, in theory a 3-0 deficit in this case, with a Benzema hat-trick. I mean, you know, Santi, looking at the other teams that are still in there, and it's funny that I mentioned that because we still have four more teams that are still competing to qualify for the Champions League. <laughs> but looking at the other four that have already qualified, you got Liverpool, you got Manchester City, and you got Bayern Munich. And I personally think, and I'm sure Joe would agree as well, is that you got those t- three teams. I probably are the favorites. I don't know what it is in order, but now with Real Madrid, you have four teams in there that are really clear favorites uh, to win the Champions League. But after the performance that we saw Real Madrid, especially against this so-called star-studded side, like PSG, how convinced are you that this Real Madrid side can go all the way and win the Champions League? Well, you can never really uh, rule Real Madrid out of any kind of European competition, can you? I mean, uh, even if uh, sometimes uh, their squad might not be 100% up to it, even, well, you could see that in the in that uh, two-legged affair against PSG. They were second best for like 150 minutes, and then they weren't. Uh, <laughs> but even so, I would say, I would say that um, Real Madrid have just uh, clicked in a way that uh, they haven't in previous seasons in the fact that they look so, so much sharper up front. Um, one of the main issues, I think, uh, ever since they won the last Champions League in 2018 and Cristiano Ronaldo left, is the fact that uh, they were incredibly reliant on Karim Benzema. And... Uh, the, what in, in their after prospects of actually scoring goals and um, creating chances relied on the fact that Benzema could be the one who could carry the team forward. And now he has finally found um, an apt, I would say, partner in crime in Vinicius Jr., who has really, really stepped up this game this season. He has combined so many times with Benzema, both in the league and the Champions League. He was an absolute menace in that uh, second half against PSG. Um, and I think uh, the key relies, I think, on on both of them getting chances and running around defenses, and uh, well, Benzema becoming this goal-scoring beast that he can once again become now that he's uh, the main man at Real Madrid ever since uh, Cristiano Ronaldo left. But not just that, I think uh, I would also I would also count on well, Luka Modric and uh, his incredible hard on his sleep performances and uh, the fact that they have 
they Real Madrid, I think, still have players who, unlike PSG, I think, are really playing for the batch and uh, have uh, nurtured uh, a really close relationship with the club for many, many years and have become leaders of that dressing room. You could see that, of course, in the in the footage of uh, Modric's celebrations after after the final whistle with every single individual Real Madrid player and coaching staff and uh, even the kitman, I think. But um, I think this is a team that has a really strong cohesive unit and uh, even the footballing arguments are lining up. You have a, a team that uh, at this moment, because of uh, Sevilla's shortcomings, they seem like they will also run away with a title, which also means uh, a little bit pressure off it, uh, and trying to focus and keep their eyes on the price, I would say. So, yeah, I mean, I would fancy Real Madrid to, to be in contention for the Champions League. I won't say at this moment in time that they're the best team in Europe. I would say that uh, if you ask me, like, at this precise moment, I would say Liverpool. I would say they are the the main, main candidates to, to win it all. But uh, I would never, never rule out Real Madrid and especially this Real Madrid side. Absolutely. I think it's very important to always understand that the history of Real Madrid gives them that kind of advantage. And, you know, in a competition like this, anything can happen, you know. I think between two legs, I think obviously now without the away goals, it really puts everything into perspective and it changes a lot of stuff. So I'm really curious to see what happens there. And I wanted to close off on my questions to ask you about Lionel Messi. You know, obviously, Lionel Messi that, you know, in about a few weeks, he's going to put on the Argentina shirt for the last time. The qualifiers heads into the World Cup. In a couple of months. Well, not really. Qatar. They have to. They still yeah. have to play Brazil. Well, of course, yeah, you, yeah. But in, in a few, you, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> but you know, obviously, you know, uh, Lionel Messi. I think you know that has to be very much in form and really in the best moment. You would say heading into this, what could be his last World Cup. But looking at what he's been doing at PSG, I mean, yes, he's getting the assist, and perhaps it isn't as flashy as the old Messi that we've been so accustomed to for, for many years. You know, this disappointment at the Champions League certainly becomes a big factor. So I'm curious to ask you, you know, if you're an Argentina fan, you know, how concerned are you about this Lionel Messi that comes out of the Champions League and, you know, just looking ahead to the World Cup in a couple months? What's funny that you asked that because just earlier today, I think Roberto Ayala, the, the former Argentina centre-back for many, many years and currently an assistant manager to Lionel Scaloni in the national team, has answered this is this exact question. He said that uh, when he uh, when he joins the Argentina camp, Messi disconnects from all of this that's going on and all the and all the buzz and all the criticisms he faces in France. He disconnects and he focuses entirely on what he what he can do for Argentina. I think uh, it's a it's a funny it's a funny thing because well. You will all remember that 10 years ago, the tables were turned and uh, he was this absolute monster uh, at Barcelona, you know, tearing up defenses and linking up expertly with Xavi and with Iniesta and with Pedro and with David Villa and Eto'o before him. And he just couldn't replicate that with Argentina. And I think um, at this moment in time, with all the controversy and all the criticisms and all the even the jeering from their own fans that he's facing at PSG Argentina right now offers him a safe haven with uh, some teammates who really uh, I, I would say unlike his previous teammates with Argentina they understand him and they and they do not 
always seek for him a solution, but they can all sometimes, you know, uh, step up themselves and uh, try to understand how he can help the team better. And, uh, well, the fact that he still has one more objective on the horizon, uh, in addition to having just won his first international trophy and all the, you know, encouragement that that comes with, I would say that uh, this is a great, great, great time for Messi to, to you know, relax and uh, try to keep uh, competitive with Argentina and um, focus on this, on this very, very clear objective because if it offers something different, it offers a breath of fresh air, and I think uh, he looks forward to every time he, every, I would say, every new. Uh, international break because he can, you know, as, he, as Sajela said himself, disconnect from all this. And uh, I wouldn't say it uh, it affects his, his Argentina form because, of, as, as we've said in, as we've seen in in the national team, he actually uh, maintains his uh, his high standards with Argentina and uh, makes really important contributions to those games. A lot of goals, actually. So, um, I mean, I, I wouldn't say that it favors him as well because, I mean, I would, I would never like to be in his position. But I think it offers some extra, I would say, uh, encouragement or motivation for him to, you know, uh, try to do his best for Argentina and uh, try to, uh, well, um, arrive in his best shape possible uh, for Qatar at the end of the year. Now, Santi, I want to jump in and bring it back to the Champions League a little bit. Um, first off, with a couple of matchups that are coming up this week, we've got a couple of 1-1 draws going into the second legs uh, of this tournament here, uh, specifically Manchester United versus Atletico Madrid and Juventus versus Villarreal. Uh, with the away goal gone at this point, uh, Juve and Man U go home with without a quote-unquote advantage that you would normally have in this. Do you see either of these two teams, given their current form, possibly dropping uh, dropping this result and having the Spanish teams move on? And if that's the case, which Spanish team do you think will move on, if not both? It's an interesting question, I would say. But, um, yeah, I mean, I would say that even if uh, Juventus and Manchester United will not have a, a way go rule in the favor, you have to take into account the fact that they will play at home. Uh, and I think that was very clear, like incredibly clear in the in the Bayern uh, game as well. I mean, they were far from the best, and uh, they snatch uh, a one-one draw in the in the final minutes of the game. And people were speculating, you know, having seen Bayern struggle in that game, and the fact that there would not be an away goal advantage towards that uh, second leg at the Allianz Arena, how would they manage? And they scored seven. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, the thing is, uh, I mean, I would, I wouldn't uh, say that uh, there's going to be such a gulf in quality be between, I think, two teams. Especially Atletico Manchester United. I think they are pretty, pretty evenly matched. Um, you never, you can never uh, stop. Uh, you, I, I think as as much as you can never uh, rule Real Madrid, you can never rule. Simeone's Atletico out mm -hmm. either. Um, even if uh, they have found themselves in a really, really uh, poor season by the standards, uh, 
they have always, always, always managed to keep to pick themselves back up and uh, snatch a victory from the jaws of defeat, I would say. So, um, considering that Manchester United looked so, so, so feeble in defence, uh, I would say that uh, they, they actually do have a chance of going through. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, the Juventus-Bijarreal game, I think uh, it's going to be a little, a little bit more complex uh, to to call because Juventus, of course, are in this great, great, great patch of form uh, in Serie A. Uh, they have been completely transformed by their January signings. Uh, and I think it kind of showed in the in the first leg. But what shocked me in the first leg is the fact that after they scored the first one so early, they kind of dropped their desire to go for a second. And that's how Villarreal grew more confident and uh, kept trying and eventually found uh, an equalizer. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, that first game should serve Allegri as a cautionary tale to what this Villarreal side can uh, do if they they go for and focus for a while. So I think if they learn that that lesson and uh, try to you know come at the king, well, I would say I won't say Villarreal are, are kings exactly, but if they take advantage of, the, of their chances and you know never let that uh, that game uh, rest, I would say, I mean they do have a lot more quality than, than the rivals and they should qualify but uh and it depends on that and it depends on them not resting on the laurels and going for the kill when they have the chance agreed I, you know and and for me as a juventino um the the talk is paulo dibala will be available this week for them in the in the mm. in the match so that's going to be a big uh, boost for them if if he does come on i want to close with one more question really quick and that is chelsea football club obviously going to lil up to nil on aggregate right now but uh, the question is: Is will they even be able to make the trip? Uh, the, you know, with all the restrictions that are put on Roman Abramovich on the football club, they only have a twenty thousand euro budget, I believe, to make the travel, make any travel arrangements. Although, you know, it's a team full of millionaires. I'm sure they'll find a way to get there. The distractions of of what's going on both in the world with, with the war going on in Ukraine and how that's affecting the club specifically. Um, is there a possibility Lil could possibly turn this around and catch a distracted Chelsea's football club? Or do you think that, that Chelsea will kind of move through on this and then we'll have to see what Chelsea gives us moving forward as the defending champions? Hmm. I mean, I mean, I would like to think that Lil have a fighting chance in this tie, if considering, you know, everything that's going on at Chelsea or their older off-field issues and uh, uncertainty and, uh, yeah, you know, all of what we've been reading about in the news, but I mean, the golfing quality is just so, so, so massive and Chelsea have remained mostly unbothered in those two games that followed that against Norwich and and Newcastle uh, that, yeah, I see, I I really don't see it. I think Chelsea just have too much quality and uh, I think Tuchel is doing a great job of uh, keeping... Uh, his players focused and trying to divert uh, the attention and the questions he's constantly facing uh, from his from his squad. Uh, there's of course uh, some something of an ethical you know um, debate whether you should keep asking questions to the manager of the team instead of you know the actual boards of the people who are actually uh, 
involved in all that matter. But I think Tuchel has been very, very cautious and very, uh, I would say, assertive in trying to divert those uh, those issues from from the team. And uh, I think it's been pretty successful at that, considering their recent performances. And this little team just doesn't really look up for it. And uh, yeah, I think I think Chelsea are gonna go through. I don't think yeah. there will be you know candidates uh, for the title as much as the other four we've mentioned before. But I think they should beat Lille. I was I was gonna say you know given the circumstances and everything that's going on in the world, uh, when all is said and done at the end of the year and we vote for Coach of the Year, this might be Thomas Thomas Tuchel's year to win that award because to to be able to keep the team focused and manage through this crisis that it affects Chelsea so closely is going to be a, a massive task. And if he can do it and and advance Chelsea deeper into this tournament, I think it would be a heroic effort on his part. And, and, oh, absolutely. And deserving. Yeah. So, Santi, thank you for joining us on the show. Uh, always a pleasure to have you on and, and, and really get in depth with a lot of the different topics that we've talked about. All the best, my friend, and, and let's uh, get together again very, very soon. Cool. Thank you once again for having me. And, uh, yeah, it's been great. And special thanks again to Santi Bowser for joining us on the show. Roberto, we've got a full week of matches, believe it or not, uh, this week in Match of the Week. So let me get rolling here right, right away. Tuesday. We're going to get back to Champions League as we discussed with Santi. Manchester United, Atletico Madrid at 4 p.m. Remember, there's a, a time change this week because of daylight savings. Uh, so Man U, Atleti at 4 p.m., currently 1-1 aggregate in that match. Then we're going to go to the CONCACAF Champions League in Comunicaciones of Guatemala taking on NYCFC at 9 p.m. Uh, NYCFC lead that aggregate 3-1 at the moment. On Wednesday, we're going to give you our EPL match of the week. 4.15 p.m., we have Arsenal and Liverpool facing off. Uh, but we also have Champions League as well. So at 4 p.m., Juventus-Villarreal, 1-1 aggregate as well at 4 p.m. Lille-Chelsea, Chelsea leading 2-0 on aggregate on that one. That one is also at 4 p.m. And then we go back to CONCACAF Champions League. Montreal-Cruz Azul. Cruz Azul with a 1-0 victory going back up to Montreal for the second leg. That matches at 9 p.m. And then for you late people, Pumas and New England Revolution at 11.15 p.m., 3-0 on aggregate right now to the Revs. Roberto, we're really looking at a potential for um, a probability of a MLS semifinal and an all-MLS final, believe it or not, in the CONCACAF Champions League, which would be crazy. Um, let's go to Thursday. Bayer Leverkusen, Atalanta, 1.45 p.m. Currently, Atalanta leads 3-2 on aggregate in probably what was one of the most entertaining matches this week uh, that we saw. We also have Galatasaray, 0-0 against Barcelona going into the second leg at 1.45 p.m., on Thursday. Then we also have in the Europa League, West Ham hosting Sevilla at 4 p.m. Sevilla currently hold a 1-0 lead in aggregate on that one. And then we go back to the CONCACAF Champions League where Leon will host the Seattle Sounders at 9.30 p.m. Seattle Sounders currently holding a 9, I'm sorry, a 3-0 aggregate in that one. We fast forward all the way to Saturday where we're only giving you uh, MLS matches. NYCFC in the Philadelphia Union at 1 p.m., followed by Charlotte and the New England Revolution at 7 p.m. on that one. And then we go back to Europe on Sunday. We open in the morning with Monaco PSG. That's a great one at 8 a.m. We then have uh, Leipzig Eintracht Frankfurt in the Bundesliga at 10.30 a.m. And then the big ones. We have the Rome Derby at 1 p.m., Roma Lazio. And then at 4 p.m., we're going to close out your weekend with El Clasico. Real Madrid and Barcelona will face off at the Santiago Bernabeu at 4 p.m. So, Roberto, I gave you the trivia question a little earlier. Let me lay it on you again. Yep. Uh, 
Cristiano Ronaldo scored a hat trick against Spurs yesterday. This was his uh, his first hat trick uh, in a Manchester United uniform since rejoining the club. When was the last time he scored a hat trick both for club and for country? I gave you a hint with the club that it is almost to the year to date. Um, today is uh, March thirteenth. Do you want to give me one date that uh, where he scored his last club hat trick? I mean, it's difficult, but I'm gonna say obviously it's gonna be for Juventus against. Mm-hmm. I will accept the date only, but you got one crack at it. March fifteenth. March. 14th, 2021, in a 3-1 win over Cagliari. By the way, my info is from Transfer Market. Can you give me the country one, which was actually later? It was uh, much more recent than his club hat trick. Oh, my God. I feel like it's always one of these teams. Uh, Lithuania? A very small country. Nope, I'll give you one more guess at it, but it was a very small country. Very small country. Very small country. And, and, wow, uh, and not San Marino or Vatican City. No, 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 no not, not, not them. Uh, Gibraltar? No, Luxembourg. Luxembourg. Okay. He scored a hat trick on October 12, 2021, against Luxembourg in a 5 0 victory for Portugal. That was the last hat trick Cristiano Ronaldo scored until yesterday against Tottenham Hotspur. So, without anything else left on the docket, my friend, let's hit the closing music. Yep. All right, here we go. So for episode 351 of Low Limit Football, special thanks again to Santi Bauza for joining us on the show. I'd also personally like to send out a special thank you to Jack Grimsey and to Ariel Castillo for joining us um, last week in our in our adventures um, through, uh, through New York City. Uh, I thought we had a great time as well meeting uh, Pablo Zabaleta. And uh, next week, we will recap the Champions League. We'll have our quarterfinals set up. We'll have our quarterfinals set up in the Europa League as well. And we'll have to continue with the uh, the Chelsea saga that we're seeing currently. So, for episode 351 of La Limit Football, I am Joe Ucello. I'm Roberto Rojas. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night. <laughs>